Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you stand for the reading of scripture this morning throughout the season of Lent, the last seven weeks, we've been studying the seven signs and wonders of Jesus, which lead us to today, the greatest of all Jesus' signs and wonders, the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Uh, We've been going back to this core text in John 20, verses 30 through 31 throughout this series, and it's essentially John's postscript in his gospel. He's saying, this is what this gospel is for, and it's only a sampling of the miracles and the teachings of Jesus, but it's here so that you might believe. So I'd like to sit on these two verses this morning, and I want you to ponder, what does it mean for us to believe? What does it mean for us to believe? God's word, John 20, verses 30 through 31. I'll read it nice and slow. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these ones are written so that you might come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So Easter Sunday, we made it here today, and this is the Sunday where we ask the question, what do I really believe about Jesus And what does it matter to my life? Really important question. One of the most important questions you could ever ask. We learn from this text that that's John's goal in his gospel, that we might believe in Jesus, and by doing so, we might have life in his name. What does it mean to believe? Particularly in this day and age, what does it mean for us to actually believe? Um, The idea of belief is kind of under assault, in a way, um, with the prevalence of things like fake news and disinformation and Suspicion of institutions, politicizing, broken trust, cynicism, apathy. It's really worth asking, can we really say that we believe in things at all today? It's caused some leading thinkers like Richard Reeves in the New York Times to say that we are in an epistemic crisis as a society. In other words, as a society, we're in a crisis of belief because he argues that When we don't know what we believe or why we believe it, we have faulty grounding for things like ethics and policy and even personal identity. And of course, there is concern that our epistemic crisis as a society is bleeding over into our spiritual lives. That makes sense. That we might even begin to have a crisis of of belief and mistrust in Jesus, in the Bible, in the church, and certainly we see evidence of that all around us. So let me ask you again, and I want you to begin to form your answer to this question. What do you really believe about Jesus, and what does that matter to your life? And yes, those two questions do go together in a biblical sense. The word for belief in John 20 and throughout the New Testament, the Greek word is pistis. Pistis is a word which has a wide range of of meanings, but it encompasses both belief that's based on empirical evidence, scientific evidence, as well as the emotional side of belief, which would likely translate to us as things like faith or trust. In the biblical sense, 
Belief is not merely assent to some sort of understanding, but it's also placing trust in something and finding meaning in that thing. So while we might think about belief in scientific, evidential sort of terms, that's only part of what John is saying when he says that he desires for us to believe in Jesus. For John, his desire is that we might believe in all that Jesus did empirically and emotionally, and in so doing, find life in his name. And if you were listening well to the text in, in John 20, there's empirical evidence that leads to belief all over that text, right? John tells the story of himself and, and Peter running to the tomb after Mary had told him that the stone had been rolled away. By the way, when John talks about the other disciple, he, the one that Jesus loved, he is talking about himself. Nothing like false modesty. And also he got there before Peter did, right? I don't know if you noticed that. But they run to the tomb and the stone has indeed been removed. They walk into the cave tomb, Peter first, and then John, and they see that the linen clothes which had been used to, to bind the body of Jesus and cover his face, but they, were, they weren't just laying there, they were, they were folded up. And verse 8 says that they saw and believed that Christ had risen. He was no longer in the tomb. Likewise, Mary Magdalene comes face to face with Jesus and he calls her by name, Mary. And she believes in the risen Christ. And, and John tells the story after this of, of Thomas who, who says, I, I need to be able to put my, my hands in those wounds. And he comes to belief in Jesus. The whole chapter of John 20 is all about empirical evidence that Jesus had indeed risen. It's true that we might be in an epistemic crisis as a society, but my sense is that for most of you here today, empirical evidence probably isn't your biggest barrier to faith in Jesus. Now, there may be some of you here today who simply just can't accept something like the resurrection of Jesus. You have a really tough time with that. You don't believe that that happened. And, and, and if that's you, first of all, I just want to say I'm super glad that you're here. I'm truly honored that you would, that you would come and, and be here today, and I trust God's work in your life and your heart. But I think for the majority of us here today, we probably, you don't probably have a big problem with the empirical evidence of the resurrection. I can't remember the last time that one of you was in my office saying, I need evidence for the historical Jesus, that he was actually a person who walked on this earth and, and, and taught and, and died and, and rose again. I need to understand this. I need to have evidence. Why don't we, why don't I hear that more? Well, maybe it's because the other common explanations for the body not being in the tomb are so wanting that they're almost laughable. And these are scholarly reasons, okay? Things like Jesus didn't really die, but he just sort of fainted and then was resuscitated to life when he was in the cold tomb. That the disciples stole the body to make it look like Jesus had resurrected. That the, woman, that the women found the wrong tomb. That the Romans removed the body. I mean, I could walk through any of these. If, if any of you want me to do that, come and set up a time. We'll talk through them. But none of these explanations work. And to be honest, they barely merit any real consideration. Not only that, I don't think that that's most of your issues when it comes to belief. I think the, the majority of church-going Christians, self-professed Christians, would say, yeah, I believe in the historical Jesus. I believe that he was a real person who lived, and he taught, and I actually liked his teachings. And, and he healed, and then he, and then he died on a cross at the hands of the Romans, and he was raised to life on Easter Sunday. Yeah, I believe that. You generally believe in Jesus and the authenticity of scriptures that tell us about his life. 
But I think we're in an epistemic crisis, not because of a lack of good empirical evidence. We are in a crisis of belief because so many of us don't know what that empirical evidence has to do with our lives here and now today. Recent research from the Barna Institute has indicated that 30% of individuals who attended a church in 2019 are no longer attending not only their church, but any church. Most fascinating, though, it's, it's not because of pandemic fears or social unrest or theological issues or because they've lost their faith over the last couple of years, which have been hard on all of us. No, the vast majority of, of people who have left the church in the last couple of years have not left the faith. They admit that they're unsettled. Maybe they're not real happy, but they haven't lost Jesus. They still believe in Jesus. They believe that he was God's son and yet fully human, that he taught and, and he healed and he died and he rose again. They've left because they just think the church has become largely irrelevant, not to be trusted, something they don't really need. They see the church as a place that has failed to help them answer the question, so what? What does faith have to do with my life right now? And where we are in our society right now, it's pretty easy, right? They can just listen to podcasts, read books, engage in a couple friends. They don't need church to do any of that. So they haven't left Jesus. They've just left the church. See, this to me is the epistemic crisis, not of empirical evidence of Jesus, not something that happened 2,000 years ago and in, in, in casting, casting uh, doubts upon that. But it's the crisis of what does that event have to do with the here and now? What does believing in that have to do now? I think these folks are asking the right question that we all need to ask. So what? So what if that happened? So what if that happened? Mere assent to historical facts is not going to sustain us in our faith life. But remember, belief in the biblical sense is not merely about something that happened, but also the emotional trust that we place in something that matters here and now. Today, we tend to reduce belief to a correlation of facts, coldly noted, adhered to. But I believe that belief in God and in Jesus is so much more than that. Reasons and facts, those are important. We need to wrestle through those things together. And if you're in that place of wrestling, that's great. But even more important are things like revelation and knowing and relationship and love. Listen to what theologian and pastor Greg Boyd says, quote, sadly, many today think that people are saved simply because they espouse certain beliefs apart from any consideration of how they live. This is why research demonstrates that the vast majority of Americans admit to believing in Jesus and a host of other Christian things, while also demonstrating that this belief has very little impact on how they actually live. It also explains why so many mistakenly think God is impressed with our level of certainty over beliefs, when in fact, the only thing that means anything to God is how faithful his people are in trusting his character and in living relationship with him, regardless of what level of certainty they have or do not have, end quote. True belief has to affect our current reality. It has to change us. It has to transform us. The brilliant and prescient British missionary and theologian Leslie Newbegin put it best when he asserted that belief in God is actually being in the middle of a story. There's so much that we know and can attest to that's already happened. And at the same time, we have to have faith and trust in the goodness of the writer and the main actor of the story that he has covered 
the parts of the story that we cannot see from our vantage point. By the way, in terms of empirical evidence, you actually can go to the traditional site of the burial of Jesus Christ. That's a place that you can visit. There are several possibilities that are given for the historical site of Jesus' tomb, but only one that's really reasonable and backed up by history. It's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. It's a super large complex. It's within the city walls that not only houses the traditional site of the resurrection, but also the traditional site of the crucifixion. That's how big this complex is. The church is divided into six different sections that are cared for by six different groups of, of Christians, uh, Greek Orthodox, Armenian Apostolic, uh, Roman Catholic, Coptic, uh, Egyptian, and Syrian Orthodox churches all have a share in this huge complex. It's a super disorienting building um, with, very, with a very, very contentious history. Um, it's actually a miracle that it has survived as long as it has with fellow Christians fighting, often literally fighting over contested inches in this building. Um, I once sat on a stone bench and watched an Armenian priest drive out a Catholic priest out of the section of the cathedral that he was in with a broom. This is the kind of atmosphere that we see there sometimes. The, the queue that lines up around the traditional site of the burial of Jesus, it's a little chapel called the Aedicule. Um, it's typically about an hour long or longer. You walk down, you kind of circle around, and then you walk down a, a set of stairs into a very small chapel of sorts where there's this rock that sits over an ancient cave tomb. And as soon as you get down there, there's typically someone, a priest, or maybe it's a tourist who's behind you who's pushing you out of the way as soon as you get down there. So, so you can visit this space. You can go to the tomb. You can go to the place that, that I believe in, and most people who study these things believe is the place where John and, and Peter and Mary ran to. It is rooted in history. It is an actual place. But ultimately, I think you'll find, even if you go and visit and just do this, this is hardly sufficient for true belief. There are millions and millions of tourists who go to the Aedicule who believe that this is the place that Jesus was resurrected. And, and what do they do? They go down and they take a picture and then they go up and they move on with their life. They do not engage with the larger story, and belief just sort of stops there. And I wouldn't blame for anyone who went into this contest, contested space of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where Christians are literally fighting one another, and seeing this place and going, this isn't really that compelling to me. Even if I believe that the historical reality of what this is built on is true, it's just not that compelling to me. I wouldn't blame you. The first time I went to this church of the Holy Sepulchre. I was so claustrophobic, and, and it had the smell of, of incense and body odor in my nose, and I just wanted to get out of there as quick as possible. But I need to tell you about another experience that I had at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Last time I was there leading a trip, a, a person in our group wanted to go back to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre to see the, the place of, of Jesus' crucifixion. I wasn't super excited about going back and fighting the crowds, but said we would do it, and so near the front door of that building is a, is a staircase that goes up. It's, that staircase is marble. It's weathered, bald over years and years of, of pilgrim travelers. It's a miracle that more people don't die on that staircase. It's kind of amazing. It's more of a slip and slide than a staircase. So we walked up the staircase to this, to this landing where there is a rock where Jesus was almost certainly crucified, the traditional site of his crucifixion. And I decided to go up. Katie and I decided to go up with this group member, and, and we had done so several times together, but we decided it, we would do it again for her. And, and so we immediately got jammed into this crowd that's trying to see the, the place of the cross. It's always 
a scary feeling. Maybe you're feeling it right now, even as I say it, when you're in a crowd and they're moving and you realize, even if I wanted to turn around, I couldn't right now. I'm mov- this crowd is moving me. They're pushing up against me and I'm trying to shield these two dear women um, uh, from the crowd around me. But this was not a group of tourists. This was a group of pilgrims. So as we're smushed together and I'm, I'm fighting my claustrophobia, I started to realize that on one side of me is a group of Christians from Nigeria. And then on the other side is, is a group of shawled women and, and nuns from Romania. And then behind us were Coptic Christians from Ethiopia. And as we inched along, something began to happen. The Nigerians began to sing lightly these little hymns humming together. And, and the Romanian women to our right, they began to weep and to wail, intermittently falling into one another and hugging one another. And then behind us, the, the Ethiopians broke out in, in spontaneous prayers that must have been the Ge'ez or Amharic languages. I'm not sure which one. And here, here we were in the middle, and, and we're inching being ushered towards the cross. A Romanian woman with tears streaming down her face fell into my side. I'm, I'm finding myself putting my hand on her, on her back. The Nigerians, some of them started to lift their hands and embrace one another. And we went to the cross together. After visiting the site of the cross, I watched these groups go down the stairs and head towards the Aedicule to the place of the resurrection, and their worship continued. I share this because there is such a fundamental difference between being a tourist who looks at the evidence, takes a picture, and says, yeah, I believe in this, and those who come back to the cross and come back to the empty tomb full of faith and trust. They had tears on their cheeks and they had hymns and prayers on their tongues because they knew that the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ had everything to do with their living here and now. Their belief was both in historical fact and in present reality. Friends, we're in an epistemic crisis because we've been taught to be historical tourists of Jesus Christ. Acquire some information and then get on with your life. Believe in these facts and you can get your ticket to heaven. Believe in the right things and God will be pleased with you. But this is not the gospel. The word for gospel in the New Testament, the Greek word is euangelion, which means good news. Good news. The kind of belief that has absolutely no relevance to the here and now, that is not good news. The good news is that because of the historical reality of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have something to live for. In John's words, I wrote these things so that you might believe in the fullest sense of the word and that by believing you might have what? Life in his name. Life. A faith that believes in the right things but never touches your everyday life is not truly living. You need to take stock right now, Easter Sunday, 2022. The things that you believe in, how do they speak to your current reality? How do they stack up to the issues in our world today? I don't know who needs to hear this today, but you believe in a lot of things that are never going to be able to account for the depths of the experiences or the realities of this world. We believe in all sorts of things, ideologies, and political candidates, and mindfulness, and materialism, and workaholism, and and the escapism of drugs and alcohol, of, of popularity and image, of wokeism and nationalism. But these things cannot satisfy the deep need that we have for meaning. As Blaise Pascal said, the the deep abyss, the vacuum that is God-sized within us. 
the deep need for faith and trust in our everyday life. I certainly won't suggest Andrew Sullivan's work on the whole, but his prophetically, he is prophetically on point when he says this, quote, These pseudo-religions will fail. They are too worldly, too rooted in contemporary culture wars, too baldly tribal, and too shallow in their understanding of the world to have much staying power. But they can do immense damage to our souls and our society in the meantime. They lack the one thing that endures in religious practice, something transcendent, that makes the failure of our lives somehow redemptive. The good news of Jesus is that he is historically worth believing in, and that belief in him actually gives us life now. But guess what? It's Easter Sunday, so the news only gets better and better on Easter Sunday. Wolfgang Pannenberg, German theologian, in his seminal work in 1968 entitled Jesus, God, and Man, talks about the resurrection of Jesus, like, and he, like, like I have today, he rebuffs the idea of history-proving faith, calling for a faith that's both historically accurate and, and, and currently active in our lives. But then he even goes further. He claims that with the resurrection more than any other event in human history, that the end of history has actually been revealed. Yes, there's a historical foundation for this faith. Yes, it's to be lived out in the here and now, but we already know the end because of the resurrection of Jesus. It is a heavenly glory. But in the meantime, he says, truth unfolds and coheres more convincingly on the basis of the resurrection of Jesus than any other possible foundation that we could choose. Friends, when we say that we believe in Jesus, yes, we're stating a historical fact. Yes, we are engaged faithfully in our current reality and We are a people of hope because of the glorious end that has already been revealed in Jesus. There is nothing else that we could possibly believe in, place our trust in, that can offer this to us. Nothing. Nothing else can offer us the life that comes in the name of Jesus. So for those of you today who have never reckoned with the evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus, I'll invite you to do so. Like Peter and John... I want to invite you today to come and to see the grave clothes. Come look at them. Come and know that Jesus is alive. For those of you who who believe in Jesus, even love Jesus, but have lost hope in the here and now and question the relevance of Jesus to your life and to this world, I want to encourage you to go back to the tomb too not as a tourist in a queue to get a good picture and to get on with your life. Go back there with your heart leading the way. God wants to lead you back to these grave clothes so that you can see and that you can believe. And this time he can grab your heart in a new way and you can step into that heartfelt relationship with Jesus yet again. And let me add, Jesus did not design that you would do so alone. In fact, I think he provides for you shoulder to shoulder people who are going to sing and weep and pray and inch you along to the cross of Jesus. Not alone with your Bible and your latte and your favorite podcast that fits into your schedule. It is time for you to trust in the community of Christ again. And for those of you who believe that Jesus is who he says he was, 
who are experiencing life found in Jesus' name, keep coming back to the grave clothes. Be reminded of the hope of heaven that only Jesus can provide, what N.T. Wright calls life after life after death. What does it mean to believe? It means to have faith, to trust, to hope, and more than anything else, to have life in the name of the only one who can truly offer it, Jesus Christ, the radiance of God, the firstborn of the dead, the risen one, the hope eternal. One very last thing. How do we know when we're experiencing life in Jesus Christ? There are any number of biblical indicators. There's things like joy and peace and confidence that comes in Jesus. But if we look at Mary Magdalene and and later all the disciples themselves, when they see and believe, what do they have? They have a testimony. They have good news to share. John's gospel is a witness. It's a testimony. It's his good news to share because he deeply desires that all would believe and have life in his name too. What's your testimony of what you believe? What are you living for? And what, have you, what do you have hope in? Friends, the only worthy, enduring testimony is the one that is centered on and hoping in Jesus Christ. You know, I take hope and um, confidence today that those fellow pilgrims who I traveled with, who, who came around us and shoulder to shoulder with us, are gathered today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus too, that people everywhere across this globe are lifting up the name of Jesus Christ and celebrating life in his name. And we actually have something that binds us together. So I'm going to invite you to stand. I'll invite the band to come forward and prepare us for some closing worship. But we're going to recite together something called the Apostles' Creed. It's the only creed that we live by here in this denomination because it's the one that binds us to brothers and sisters all over the world today. And you'll notice that as we say it, we say, I believe numerous times. We assert what it is that we believe. But I want you this morning to recite it in a different way than maybe you ever have if you've ever done this before. Not just as facts of things that happen. Not just as boxes that we check and go, yes, I believe this. Yes, I believe this. But these are indicators of where it is that we are putting our faith and our trust. And what it means to have life in the name of Jesus. So let's claim our common faith together this morning in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into Hades. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen, amen, amen.